All right. Amen. Okay, I'm on. Thank you, Yehuda and the team. Um, how's everybody doing? Good. Um, man, it's... Uh, yeah, my name is Jake. Um, I'm on staff here as the student ministries director, and uh, it's a privilege to be teaching. Um, it's an honor this, uh, this morning to be teaching um, in this beautifully decorated building. Uh, it was snowing earlier uh, this first Sunday in December, uh, second Sunday of Advent, so it, it really is a privilege, and um, yeah, so... Uh, this Sunday, we are starting a four weeks Advent series, which will go through uh, up until January 1st, actually. Uh, and we're calling it the Hope of Dawn. Uh, Advent is a season of hope, it's a season of anticipation, of uh, expectation. We remember Christ's first coming in Bethlehem, and we await his second coming. Uh, it's a time, Advent is a time when we. We anticipate a future that is better than the present. It's a time when we seek to cultivate biblical hope. Um, Not hope as we oftentimes use the word, like, um, I hope I don't fall asleep during Jake's sermon, okay? Um, I won't ask how many people are actually thinking that. Uh, Because not the hope that's based on just probabilities, optimism, but uh, biblical hope. is a choice. It's a choice to wait on the Lord to bring about the future that he has promised. Um, And and we look back to his past faithfulness. Uh, We look back to what he's done in our lives personally and what he's done as revealed through scripture, through Christ, uh, what we've come to know through history of how God has been faithful to us. And as we look back, that fuels our hope and it gives life to to the hope that, that we have. Um, so this series uh, called The Hope of Dawn, we're also going to be exploring the theme of light throughout this series. Um, there'll be various uh, scripture passages over the next uh, four sermons uh, that, uh, that deal with that. Um, as when like a new day dawns and a sunrise breaks into the darkness, uh, we've selected various scripture passages uh, that focus us on Jesus, the true light that's come into this dark world. Um, so Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, uh, I think ties these two themes together of hope and light, of dawn, and um, let me read it now. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. The Apostle Peter is, is speaking here, and he is saying this prophetic word that in the Old Testament, this foretelling of Jesus, the Messiah that was to come, we have this prophetic word. We have the gospel. We have this truth that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And uh, earlier in chapter 1 of Second Peter, uh, he was talking about, he referenced the Mount of Transfiguration when him and James and John uh, saw Jesus in his glory. So when Peter here says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, he's referencing that, like this promise, these promises we have in Christ are more fully confirmed, to which we will do well to pay attention to as to a lamp shining in a dark place. If you are in a very dark place. If you're in a, in a pitch black room and there is one lamp, you are clearly going to be paying attention to the light source. So Peter here is saying like we would do well to pay attention um, to the gospel message as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And as we wait uh, for the new uh, heavens and the new earth, for, for Christ to come back, um, 
So uh, this, uh, this series, uh, The Hope of Dawn, um, is uh, going to be for the next few weeks here. Um, I'm excited about how the Lord plans to use it um, in all of our lives. Now, the, the passage we're going to be looking at today, uh, this morning, as we kick off this series, is Isaiah chapter 6. You can turn there now. Um, verses 1 through 8. And um, this passage is ultimately a passage about biblical hope, uh, the dawning of a new day in Christ. Um, If you're newer to the Bible, the book of Isaiah, uh, where do you find it? If you open right to the middle, you'll probably be in the book of Psalms. If you go three books to the right, uh, you'll get to Isaiah. And it's a fairly large book, so hopefully you can find it there. And again, we're going to be in chapter 6. Now, uh, as you turn there, Isaiah uh, was a prophet, and he spoke on behalf of God between the years of 740 and 700 B.C. So to try to help connect some dots for us uh, this morning, that's about 300 years after the death of King Saul. Last Sunday, Steve finished up our study through the book of 1 Samuel, um, which tells the story, the tragic story of Saul, the first king of Israel, and it tells of the brutal consequences the nation faced for wanting a king like the nations, and we saw last Sunday that the book concludes with the death of Saul, Um, and in today's text, uh, we zoom forward roughly, again, 300 years, and there have been 12 other kings since Saul has died. Um. Where we find ourselves in in Israel's history, have things gotten better for them? Have they figured it out? No. Negative. Yes. <laughs> uh, they have not figured it out. In fact, it's it's gotten worse. The, the true king of Israel has not come yet, the anointed one. Um, the nation has split in two. There's the northern kingdom, which became known as Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Um, so there is uh, internal... Um, Division And also there's external pressure of the nation. The nation of Assyria is, at the time of writing this, um, when Isaiah writes it, uh, Assyria is, is on the doorstep about to invade the northern kingdom. And Isaiah directs his attention to Judah, the southern kingdom, and says, um, judgment is coming to you as well if you do not turn back to the Lord, um, just like your northern um, neighbors So, 300 years after Saul's death, uh, Israel is still a nation not serving the Lord with all their heart. Yet, within this hopelessness, uh, we're going to see in this passage that Isaiah, in this passage in chapter 6, that Isaiah receives, and by extension, the nation of Israel receives the very thing that they need the most in that context, namely an encounter with the living Lord, the true king. And is that not what we need this morning as well? And what we need this Advent season, that we would, um, with eyes of faith, encounter King Jesus. And remember, like we had just sung, that he he reigns forevermore. Um, So we're going to see that this morning. Um, So why don't you stand uh, with me, if you're able, and um, out of respect for the scriptures. And I will read, uh, I think I'll start in verse 1 of chapter 6 and read till verse 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. 
With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for um, the time together that we can have. Uh, It would be so foolish of me to think that anything that I can say or anything that I can communicate will affect any change. So we need your spirit to do the work. So we ask that you would speak to us as we look at your word together. Um, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right, as you um, see uh, on the screen there, uh, I've entitled the sermon A Vision of the Lord, um, and uh, you can see uh, how I've kind of broken it up for those uh, note-takers among us. Um, And the first part, uh, darkness surrounds. You can see the verses there. King Jesus appears, and then a response is required. So that's kind of how we're going to work through this together. Uh, So let's jump into that first part, darkness surrounds. After Isaiah introduces his book in chapter 1, chapters 2 through 5 describe the spiritual deadness of Judah um, and their rebellion against the Lord. Isaiah describes their sin, how they've turned from following him. And and look at chapter 2, verse 5. You can turn back to chapter 2. Look, uh, Isaiah's appeal here in in chapter 2, verse 5. He says, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Isaiah is pleading to the people, let us turn from our dark ways of living and once again follow the Lord um, and walk in the light. But was Israel doing that? Was Judah doing that? No. And just like Assyria was soon invading the northern kingdom, um, Isaiah is saying another nation will invade Judah unless they turn from their ways. Let's look at this uh, super heartwarming image in chapter 5, verses 26 through 30. Um, uh, Definitely being sarcastic there. Uh, Verses 26 through 30 of this coming judgment. Uh, it says this in chapter 5. He, uh, he will raise a signal. This is saying God will raise a signal for nations far away. He will whistle for them from the ends of the earth. And behold, quickly, speedily they come. So God is, is calling these foreign nations to come bring judgment to Judah. And look how, look how these foreign armies are described in verse 27. It says, None is weary. None stumbles, none slumbers or sleeps. Not a waistband is loose, not a sandal strap broken. They are ready. Their arrows are sharp. All their bows bent, their horses' hooves seem like flint, and their wheels like the whirlwind. 
Their roaring is like a lion, like young lions they roar. They growl and seize their prey. They carry it off, and none can rescue. So these strong armies, they're like lions, young lions. And that's not like, young lions not referring to like a lion cub like Simba or something. This is saying like a, a, a lion at its prime uh, with, with strength. And they're growling, and they have captured their prey. And it's this growl of victory, of, of delight. And then notice in verse 30, the, the image changes from a lion to the growling of the sea. So it's as if Isaiah wants us to see in our mind this lion consuming its prey. And then close your eyes and you still hear the sound of the growling. But then you open your eyes and it's no longer a lion making that noise. But now it's the crashing waves of the sea. And the image is that now you're in this, you're in a boat at sea in the middle of a massive storm and there's heavy winds and rainfall. And look at verse 30 of chapter 5. They will growl over it on that day. Again, this is referring to these foreign armies, like the growling of the sea. And if one looks to the land, so you're out like on, in, this, in this boat and, it, and the waves are crashing and you're just discombobulated and it's turbulent and you're looking for something. So you look to the land and what do you see? Behold, darkness and distress, and the light is darkened by its clouds. So even when you look to land, there is no hope. And and the light that is, the sliver of light that is there is fast disappearing um, by the clouds. So, heartwarming passage, correct? Um, I mean, to take a a page from Steve's playbook uh, last week, Merry Christmas, Creekside, right? Um, no, it's, as, as, if you've spent any time in Scripture, uh, Scripture doesn't sugarcoat things. It presents things, um, and life, can, life is difficult. And we do have these seasons of hopelessness and despair that can then hit us like a wave. Has God's people chosen to walk in the light of the Lord, as chapter 2, verse 5 said? No, they're, they're surrounded by darkness, distress, and the light is slowly disappearing. And then, in chapter 6, the first part says, in the year that King Uzziah died, which to us might not mean much. Who's at Uzziah doesn't matter to us, right? But to <clears throat> Isaiah's audience, Uzziah, he represented um, a time in years past that were positive for the nation. We learn in Second Chronicles 26, we don't have to go there right now, but in, you can go uh, later on, but Second Chronicles 26, King Uzziah's his reign had been unusually long and prosperous. It resembled the days of David and Solomon. It was a time when God's people experienced success and effectiveness and honor. But they didn't handle, the nation did not handle that success well. And King Uzziah specifically, when met with that success, didn't handle it well. Uh, let's look at Second Chronicles. I, I believe I have it on the screen. Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26, uh, verse 16 says this. But when he was strong, so when King Uzziah was strong, he grew proud to his destruction, for he was unfaithful to the Lord, his God. And he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So King Uzziah did not follow God's commands. He performed an activity that was supposed to be reserved for priests only, not the king. And the death of King Uzziah that we see referenced here at the beginning of chapter 6 Uh, represents the end of an era. 
and the start of a very dark time. Now, thankfully, the passage, chapter 6 doesn't end there. We, God shows up, and he responds amidst this darkness and hopelessness. But before we move to that, I, I wanted just to take a second and try to connect this uh, to our lives. For a lot of us here this morning, um, the circumstances of your life might carry a similar darkness or lack of hope. Um, perhaps it's, it's relational strife or conflict. Um, perhaps it's physical illness of a loved one. Uh, maybe it's a continued battle with, with chronic pain or with uh, mental illness, perhaps, that you just feel like you've tried everything and it's, there's, there's no hope in this particular situation. Maybe, maybe this, this sense of like darkness is coming from a continued uh, seeking after purity and righteousness, but met with defeat after defeat after failure after failure. And you're thinking, will I ever be able to, to conquer this? So you, you, maybe you came this morning with all the, you know, Christmas decorations and the snow and, you know, you kind of have to be like, yay, you know, but inside really what's happening is a lot of this, the light slowly fading and you find yourself in a storm and you look to the land and yes, the light is slowly disappearing. If that's you this morning, um, and what I love about this, this passage is it teaches us so important. I know this is something that I'm daily having to learn and God has been working on my heart is we cannot look to the circumstances of our life as the basis for our future hope. If we start looking around at the circumstances of our life and evaluating how things are going and using that to build our foundation for our hope for the future, that things will be better than the present, um, that's doomed to failure. Because as Christians, we've been called to to base our hope in a person, um, not in the circumstances of our life. We, we are meant to base our hope on the person and work of Jesus. And so it makes a whole lot of sense where in this chapter, the very next, right after this darkness, right after King Uzziah dies, we see um, this in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Look at the contrast. The earthly king has died. The eternal king is alive. And he's reigning. And what is he doing? He's sitting. On the throne. He's not worried. He's in control. <clears throat> One thing I, I became aware of uh, when I was studying for this, this sermon, and, and, and Steve helped me to see this. this, this encounter with Isaiah's encounter with the Lord, it's mentioned in the New Testament in the Gospel of John, um, in John chapter 12. And it's going to be on the screen here in a moment. But John, uh, he, he quotes from Isaiah 6, and uh, he, in, in the context of John 12, uh, he's trying to address the question, how is it that people are not believing in Jesus? They've seen all these miraculous signs, like he's healed people. He has, you know, <clears throat> multiplied fish, and, and uh, he's, he's fed thousands of people. Like, the, there's all these things, these miracles, these signs that Jesus has done. And uh, <clears throat> how is it that people aren't believing and um, listen to what, what John says. I, I, yeah, I do have it on the screen there. So 
Uh, John says this, therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, um, this is later on in chapter 6, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And this, this little sentence at the bottom I, is what I want to focus on. Um, he makes this comment, Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. His glory is Jesus. That's in, the, in the context of John 12, that's, that is what is, is uh, that's who is being talked about. When Isaiah said these things, he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. So when, this is amazing to me. When John read Isaiah, he came to this passage in Isaiah 6. Uh, John has Jesus in mind. The Jesus that John traveled with, did ministry with, the Jesus who he ate meals with, sat around a campfire with, the Jesus who he did mundane, daily life things with. The Isaiah 6 Jesus is the same man who walked this earth 2,000 years ago. This Isaiah 6 Jesus that we see in verses 2 through 4, the Jesus of radiant holiness, surrounded by indescribable glory and worship and these seraphim, these creatures, these angels. He is so holy that even if you try to stretch language as far as it will go, it cannot describe or reach the magnitude of his holiness, his glory, his, his distinctiveness. So this same Jesus in Isaiah 6 and John 12 um, is the one who 2,000 years ago emptied himself, took the form of a ser- servant, was born in the likeness of men in a surprisingly unremarkable way in the city of Bethlehem. And when, you, when, I, when, I, was, when I connected those dots, it, the, this passage in Isaiah um, just, yeah, came alive and um, took on this, this new meaning for me. So I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And this is what we ought to be seeking after. This is what um, I should be seeking after. Here's the solution to our problem, to our hopelessness that we sometimes find ourselves in. It's what Isaiah and the nation of Israel needed. When our, when our boat is bombarded with crashing waves, we look around and see nothing of this world to save us. We must seek to see the Lord and put our minds where he is. <clears throat> and that, that song, like, he will reign forevermore, um, the reality of Jesus' reign and his kingship was true for Isaiah some 700 years before uh, the events that happened in Bethlehem. And this reality still remains true for us today, 2,000 years later. When everything seems hopeless, Jesus is still sitting on his throne. We can trust him and his promises. The promise of his eventual return. The promise of the complete and perfect restoration of our world and our hearts. The promise of the coming of the new heavens and the new earth. That the dwelling place of God will be with man. That he's going to wipe away all of our tears. That there will be no more death. There will be no more mourning or crying or pain. Because those were the former things. And now this, this is the new thing. This is the reality that, that awaits us. So we must not look to our circumstances if we find ourselves in that dark place. We must not look to our circumstances, but rather to Jesus with eyes of faith as we look back and we look forward to what he has promised for us. And there's more. 
Um, the, the appearance of King Jesus not only gives us hope in our current dark and hopeless circumstances, but it, the appearing of, of Jesus also demands or requires a response, uh, which, which brings us to, to verses 5 through 8. Because light, um, light not only gives us hope, but another thing that light does is that it, it exposes it reveals. <clears throat> so Isaiah has seen the Lord. He has seen the eternal king with inexpressible power and glory and holiness. And how does he respond as he's in the throne room of Jesus in this vision? Does he just say, oh, all right, cool. No, <laughs> look at this. Woe is me, for I am lost. Some translations might say, I am undone. In other words, I'm falling apart. I am breaking into pieces. And Isaiah continues, I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah is saying, I should be dead right now. Woe is me as he's pronouncing a curse on himself. When he is faced with with the infinite gulf between himself and God. And when he's faced with the immense inferiority that he was before the eternal king, he becomes undone. When his pride and his sin faces this, his whole personhood starts to unravel and he breaks into pieces. And this is, this is what light does. Not only, this is what Jesus does. Not only does he provide us hope, but he also exposes and reveals what is hidden in the dark. Deception, being like self-deceived, thinking that you, you know, you're all pretty righteous and pretty got it all together. And um, when brought into the light, we, it, you cannot survive that. A false reality cannot survive in the light. And when things are brought into the light, you have a decision to make, right? You, like Isaiah, are you going to call out, are we going to call out in repentance and humility and confession? Or are we going to run from the light and escape to darkness? Perhaps like uh, my wife and I used to live in um, Indonesia and there was lots of uh, cockroaches. Um, And uh, one of my... uh, colleagues uh, said that he had an experience where he walked into uh, the bathroom and the lights were turned off and he flicked on the lights and you probably imagine what he saw down there scurrying away uh, a, a, a bunch of cockroaches just running from the light and we we have a, a similar decision to make because it is painful terrifying to be laid bare like Isaiah was in this encounter. You're going to run from it, or are you going to, to respond as Isaiah did in this passage? With 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 a appropriate response. And I, since you know we Isaiah is, is a is a model for us of how to respond with confession and repentance maybe let's look at it a little bit closer like the what he says um 
one thing, maybe you're in a similar boat, but one thing that's always surprised me about this passage uh, is what Isaiah specifically confesses of, um, namely his unclean lips. Uh, has that any, anyone else maybe been surprised by that? Uh, like of all the things he could confess, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. It seems kind of strange. Like I, if I was in his shoes, I, I could think of um, more significant things in my life that I might confess first. Uh, like, did Isaiah um, <clears throat> occasionally use a curse word or uh, call other people names like, um, like a cotton-headed ninny-muggin, okay? <laughs> um, was, it, was, it, was that what he's referencing? And, and don't get me wrong, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that um, our words don't matter, like what, what we say. It, like, our speech should be honoring to the Lord, and our speech should be pure, but I, I think there's something deeper going on here when, when um, Isaiah says, I am a man of unclean lips. Um, and uh, uh, Timothy Keller, may, maybe many of you are familiar with, with his work. He's the former pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Um, he pointed out this observation um, that I'm about to share. Well, one thing we know about Isaiah um, is he was remarkably gifted in language. Um, his command of language was incredibly strong. His ability to create images and use persuasive, powerful words um, was apparent. I mean, his words of prophecy, this book of Isaiah, um, has impacted countless people through the centuries with its poetry, its, with its art. Um, so Isaiah was a, a master communicator. And Isaiah was a prophet. So what, what's the main task of a prophet? To preach, to use his lips, to speak, to be persuasive and influence and affect change. And I think recognizing this aspect of Isaiah, um, I think, explains why he first went to, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. Could it be that the thing that Isaiah was most skilled at and most gifted in was the thing that he used to shape his identity and provided his self-worth? Could it be that his, his ego and his pride was built upon the thing that he was most skilled at? And to me, this seems to match up with, with reality and what I know about the human heart, what I know about my own heart. And when Isaiah was brought before the maker of the universe, the one who created his lips he saw for the first time how absolutely ridiculous he was. Who was he to think that he has credit for this? It's all from God. He gave him these abilities. He, he saw perhaps his, his ego and his pride and how ugly it was, and his pride was popped like a balloon, deflated in a shriveled mess on the floor, and he cries out, woe is me. His entire self-identity and what he looked to for worth was vaporized when he faced his maker and he compared himself up against the Lord. And this, this woe is me experience was clearly not enjoyable. And we could be left with the thought, this just seems cruel of God. Why would he do that? Why would he do such a thing? But pride's a tricky thing, right? 
the only way forward sometimes is to see to see it for what it is to be brought into the light which is incredibly painful and we know one thing we know about God as revealed through scripture is that God only wounds us like this and brings us down like this so that he can heal us because if if Isaiah is left, and if we are left with this pride like King Uzziah had, it'll lead to our destruction. So God puts us in experiences to, to wound us so that he can heal us. He humbles us so that he, can, he might exalt us. And we see this play out in, in Isaiah's experience in verses 6 and 7. It says this. Notice, immediately after, Isaiah confesses. Immediately after, then one of the seraphim flew to me. The Lord commands the seraphim to fly to Isaiah, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah immediately receives pardon and freedom and restoration. Right after this intense, painful confession, Isaiah is immediately met with absolute, undeserved kindness, mercy, and pardon. The Lord calls forth the seraphim to purify him. Now think about, what did Isaiah bring to the table in this exchange? He's an absolute mess. <laughs> he, the only thing he brought was his honesty, his confession, his openness. In this, Isaiah caught a foretaste of the undeserved kindness and mercy that is offered to us in Jesus when we come before him. This, this burning coal is ultimately pointing to the blood of Jesus, just like the cup that we drink from is pointing us ultimately to the blood of Jesus because we know that is what ultimately covers, atones, takes away our guilt, and makes us new. Amen? And I think this is important, too, as I reflected on this passage. Notice how Isaiah receives this burning coal. He doesn't refuse it. This is, a, this is something that I can fall into. He embraces it. He doesn't turn away this strange six-winged creature, which would be absolutely terrifying, um, as it approaches with the thing that will purify him. He doesn't say something like, wait a second, not now. I'm still doing my woe is me rendition. I got a few more to do. I got some more like self-punishment and self-condemnation to work through before I can receive grace. It's very easy to, to do that. To think that because of our sins that we cannot receive God's kindness and his pardon until we have done X, Y, and Z. So let, 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 us, let Isaiah be instructive for us this morning. Um, receive. That's... that's what a gift is. You just receive it. You don't bring anything to it. Jesus has taken the punishment so you don't have to. And notice this, this allows Isaiah to have a complete mindset transformation. He goes from woe is me. What verse is that in? Woe is me in verse 5. And then if you look down in verse 8. 
to here am I, send me. He goes from this place of, of godly sorrow for his sin. And that sorrow is turned to surrender. He goes from a place of confession to confidence. Here am I, send me. He's now entering a life of purpose because his, his worth and his identity is in the right place. It's finally fixed. He can bear the image of God now. He can walk in the freedom of new life. He's, he's now able to see that, oh, who God says I am and what God says about me is what matters. And I can walk in that now. And I don't have to be worried. I can go, this, this, first, this still kind of scares me, to be honest. The here am I, send me. <laughs> That's a scary prayer. Um, to say that. Because um, what if God sends me to a place I don't want to go? <laughs> to, to, to a place, to people I don't want to, to minister to. What, to have that surrender is terrifying because you're releasing control of your life, right? But when we remember God's amazing love for us, and we, we see the extent. I thought there was a cross back there, but there was the Oh Holy Night. I was going to point to that. It's like, we see the lyrics of Oh Holy Night. No. <clears throat> when, when we, let's imagine a cross. <laughs> uh, when, when we remember the extent of God's love that he would ho- empty himself, come to this earth as a baby, live a life for us, and die for us, and invite us into this new life, and, and conquer the grave, um, that, that can give us some confidence. We can say, here am I, send me, because we know the one that goes before us. We know the one who we're following after, and he's trustworthy. We don't have to have it all figured out. We can be an absolute mess like Isaiah was. I mean, that's honestly, we, we should be humble and recognize our absolute dependence on Jesus. So I, I think at this, at this point, I think I will call up Yehuda and the band. Um, I, I got a couple more thoughts to share, but just give them some time to, to get set up. But um, there's so much more in this text, um, but what, what I desire, what I, <laughs> what I know I need, and what my prayer is for our church uh, this Advent season, is that we would seek the Lord and his throne. That we would be a church that desires and takes deliberate steps to see Jesus with eyes of faith. I mean, this is what our heart needs. If we're feeling hopeless, we're filled with despair. Look to Jesus, what he's done, what he is doing, what promises he's committed himself to. Don't look to your circumstances. Look to the real Jesus, the eternal king, our savior. And and this Advent season, let us be a church that is honest um, with ourselves (laughs) and stop pretending or being deceived or letting pride rule in our hearts because we are so needy. We are so desperately in need of a savior 
And let us come to Jesus with this honesty and this confession. And, and when we bring this honesty before the Lord, and as Jesus extends his merciful hand, he touches us with his grace, as he always does, because that's who he is. Let us respond like Isaiah in, in just the, the, the only logical and the only appropriate way. Here am I. Send me. You know, you've done everything for me, Lord. I give myself to you. Here am I, Lord. With, with no secrets. You already know everything. Anyways, I'm the one who's deceived and kind of like living this life feeling like I, I can earn my salvation and I can earn um, these things. You already know what's deep in my heart. And you, even though you know that, Lord, you, you love me. I am fully known and I am fully loved. And that gives us the confidence to say, here am I, send me. Um, to wherever you wish, to whomever you wish, to do whatever you wish. Um, so as we sing this last song, um, let us come before the Lord with, with that heart attitude and, um, and surrender. Even as I'm saying these words, it just feels hypocritical too, because to get there um, is so such a challenge because it works against all of our our human nature and our sin to release control to the lord so as as we sing this last song i um just would encourage you to 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 pray this out to him to receive the grace not not push it away but receive the grace the forgiveness of jesus so amen that was beautiful um that last verse and lord haste the day when my faith shall be sight the clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Haste the day when my faith shall be sight. I mean, that's what we anticipate during Advent. What we choose to wait for with patience, what we long for, the day when our faith will be turned to and we will see King Jesus face to face. When he brings forth the new heavens and the new earth and we can all share that together. That gives us fuel when we face dark times right now. Because it hasn't happened yet. So let us walk by faith until that day appears. When sin is forever removed, the enemy is defeated ultimately, and death is no more. So let me, let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the hope that you give us in a world that is, there is no hope. Thank you for your son. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you for healing us, for being so patient with us. For the grace and the pardon and the forgiveness you offer and the incredible future we have in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If, if you want to hear more about um, what it means to have this hope in Christ, uh, to make him Lord and Savior. Please, please come talk to me or come talk to, uh, we're going to have members of the prayer team up here. Um, if that is something that the Spirit is working on your heart, like don't leave without talking to someone. Um, and we would love to walk beside you and, and talk through what that, what that looks like to commit yourself to Christ. Um, also, the prayer team, they're going to have prayer lanyards. They'll be up here. If, if you are uh, in a, a season where the circumstances of your life are dark, and there, there's something that you need prayer for. Would you come forward? They would love to serve you um, and pray for for you and, and that particular thing. So.
Um, but other than that, thank you for joining us. And uh, this coming week, let's go share the hope that we have in Christ with the people in our lives. So you're dismissed.